When you're an entrepreneur with a great idea, it can be daunting to find funding. Startup Raven takes the process out of your hands by helping entrepreneurs connect and learn about potential investors all in one place. Without any long-filled forms or thousand questions, Sign up for early access at StartupRaven.com. Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Today, I would like to welcome Maximilian here with us from FinAuto. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Joe, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Totally my pleasure. You are the current CEO of FinAuto because your predecessor had to step down to do an unfortunate incident um but we will dig a little bit into you what you guys are doing and how you guys are going to make car subscription successful because that is something even the big ones have been failing at and it's for me totally fascinating how a startup could make that but before we get into that i've I've been digging a little bit into your LinkedIn profile, as everybody can do. We'll link it down here in the show notes. And I've seen you've been, let's say, at the usual suspects. There is the LMU University in Munich and the Center for Digital uh, CDTM, the Center for Digital Technology and Management, which is part of Unternehmertum associated with it. And everybody who'd like to learn more can go down here in the show notes and talk a little and uh, can hear how they are helping Munich to become a startup hub. They're really, really awesome. Strongly recommended. But can you tell us a little bit how you got from Munich to Bocconi to Munich to Berkeley? <laughs> yeah, so... I grew up in rural Bavaria and so Munich was always kind of like the big city and the big leap for me. Like all my uh, friends went studying in, in uh, Rettisbon or in uh, Deggendorf or in Passau, like uh, I would say also smaller Bavarian cities. And for me, Munich was always... Um, ha ha hang on, hang on. I grew up in a rural town. How how rural are we talking? I, I grew up in a town with less than 200 people. Can you beat that? Uh, no, I cannot beat that. Um, so uh, the town that I grew up in had like uh, a gymnasium and like uh, it had like seven supermarkets. So it was like uh, not as rural, like, but it's quite far away. So it's like two hours in the northeast uh, from Munich. It's on the uh, uh, at the border uh, to the Czech Republic. And uh, I think we, we had 3,000, 3,500 inhabitants, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. And so basically you want to go to Munich? Yeah and study there and how did you then get from there to um Bocconi? yeah and um how did your journey develop there and when did you realize i want to do startups yeah so um it, it, i studied economics and so during studying i always thought like i'm, I'm gonna end up as a financial investor basically and so um I looked for ultimately the best universities in Europe. 
And Bocconi was, or still is, one of the best uh, finance universities in Europe. And so I thought like, uh, okay, I, I, I love Italy. I can speak a little bit of Italian. Um, so why not spend a semester abroad there? And there is actually no cooperation between the LMU and uh, I think any Italian university. Um, but I, I, I wanted to go there desperately. And so I completely organized the exchange myself. So I just uh, tried to find a sponsor at Bocconi. Uh, I uh, found a, a scholarship that would pay for the whole thing and ultimately was, was able to go to Milan for half a year and uh, not only uh, really, really enjoyed the university there and it was also a very, very different way of teaching economics um, compared to Munich, like a little bit less numbers and data-driven, um, I would say. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the time in Milan as well, to be honest. <laughs> I can totally see that. What actually surprises me is that there's no cooperation between LMU and a university in Italy, because I've heard quite frequently, especially in terms of food, that Munich sees itself as the most northern city of Italy. <laughs> Maybe I'm also getting that wrong and I just didn't find it by, uh, back then. Uh, but uh, I mean, also, I was dead set on Bocconi, right? Like I was like, hey, I want to go to Bocconi specifically. Like this is the place to be. Uh, this is the best university of Italy, one of the best in Europe. And so um, it, maybe that uh, fixture also is is clouding my memories. But um, I, I, I definitely was very, very driven to kind of like find a way to end up there. I have to admit, I also love Milano. Um, especially it's not too far away from the Alps. You can see it from some of the rooftops and it's also not too far away from the ocean, which is also very beautiful, has amazing restaurants and uh, the, the, the uh, espresso bars that even inspired Starbucks. Uh, yeah, and uh, you also have a bunch of, uh, like a concept that is called aperitivo, uh, which is the best thing for a student uh, that, that, that ever existed. You basically get one drink for, let's say, five euros, And then you get uh, food, uh, a buffet uh, for the whole night for free. Uh, and that is that is amazing for a budget-conscious uh, student. I see. And how did you get then into CDTM? So um, I was talking with a very, very good friend of mine about kind of like what else is there that we can do. He's an architect. Uh, I'm an economist. I think we both, after studying uh, these, these two very, very different um, study programs, Uh, became kind of like we we love digital technology and we're looking for a mm -hmm. way to kind of like learn more about it but also do more projects about it and so we came uh, across cdtm and started talking about it i started talking to several people i had one acquaintance that studied there and um i was actually uh, really uh, falling in love with the cu curriculum and the opportunity to study at CDTM because it felt like something very, very hands-on, uh, very, very project-driven, very practical. So in a very stark contrast to the quite academic environment of economics itself. Mm -hmm. And from then on, you also went to Berkeley? Yeah, that was actually via, uh, via the C CDTM. So the CDTM has a bunch uh, of partner universities and uh, that was a lot easier to organize. Um, but you also needed like to talk to a professor and kind of like get, get, a, uh, get approved to kind of like move over there. And that was mm -hmm. also a very, very fascinating period, not as practical as the CDTM itself, but also very, mm -hmm. very cross-functional, which is, I think, one of the common themes throughout my life that I've always kind of like been trying to understand 
different disciplines and kind of like learn from from mm-hmm. everyone that I come across. And so Berkeley was uh, definitely that for me as well. Hmm. And um, I also heard that kind of sparked the idea um, of Finn inside of you. It's associated with a Ford Mustang. <laughs> Uh, n- not yet the idea itself, but it definitely is now one of the main sources of motivation that that I have every day when I uh, when I work on Finn. So ultimately, uh, I bought my first car there. So in Germany, I never needed a car. I lived in Munich, in Milan. You don't need a car. Uh, once you come to the Bay Area, you re- realize, oh, uh, public transport is not really a thing here, and so uh, the the need for a car becomes uh, significantly stronger. Like mm-hmm. if you want to go to a supermarket, you need to have a car. If you want to go uh, on a weekend trip, you need to have a car. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately I looked at kind of like, how will I get a car now? And it was a really, really painful process from kind of like figuring out which car I want. Uh, I ended up getting a, a convertible Ford Mustang that was quite run down. Uh, and as a result, I also had to worry a lot about repairs, about maintenance, about uh, insurance, like all these things that you typically mm-hmm. don't think about when you think kind of like you see an advertisement for a car and it promises you all of this freedom, like all of that excitement, all of that experience. Um, but when you actually start um, kind of like uh, buying one, it, it can be quite a hassle and it can be quite painful. Mm. Uh, I remember friends of mine at college in Texas also had a car, a quite old Oldsmobile, where the reverse gear didn't work. So always uh, the, the lightest person had to get in. We had to push it and he had to steer it. <laughs> it was, yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't that bad. But we, I also had a bunch of problems, like one of the uh, cats was broken. And yeah, it was like a, a, a whole thing that uh, kept me busy for uh, the better part uh, of half a year. Yeah. Ah, I see. And then he came back and I can see you've been doing a few analyst positions um, in private equity, venture capital or something like that. And then somehow you enter business development at startups. How did this happen? So before uh, I was joining CDTM, I was uh, doing an internship at a private equity, not fund, but like a firm, like basically a family office of like uh, three very, very rich uh, high net worth individuals that mm-hmm. kind of like wanted to play with their with their money and uh, that was a very very interesting experience uh, if you recall like all my life i thought i i would end up in the finance industry and uh, so uh, i when i when i ended up there i realized hmm, maybe it's not a perfect fit for me uh, i'm i'm one of the people that is very much Uh, driven by kind of like knowing at the end of the day what I have achieved throughout the day. Like I want to see kind of like which problems have I solved? Uh, did I make a difference today? All of these things. And in finance, you have responsibility for a lot of money. You make very, very large decisions. But for most of the days, it can be somewhat a grind. And so I actually thought to myself, hmm, how can I actually get more responsibility? How can I have more impact? And that's why I switched to startups and also why I was very interested in joining CDTM. Mm-hmm. I see you've been there. Uh, one of them, I don't know, a healthcare venture startup. And then you, you started venture development. What did you do there? So yeah, like um, Kaya Health, which was the kind of like first real proper job that I had, 
um, uh, like afterwards, I wanted to uh, kind of like shorten my learning periods and I wanted to learn a lot more and see a lot more different things in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And so venture development is just a fancy name for ultimately saying you do everything that is necessary to get a company off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what I did at that fintech uh, company builder uh, was I ultimately tried to find customers. I designed logos. I um, built uh, products and uh, minimum viable products specifically, just prototyped a lot and uh, tried to find ideas that uh, we would be able to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. And from your CV, it looks like you've been jumping from there into founding a uh, co-founding Finn Auto as chief growth officer with the background, it kind of makes sense. Um, but I want to stop at, at one step in between because you're a member of a supervisory board of classical German Mittelstand. Can, can, can you talk a little bit about here the clash of the cultures? Uh, yeah, of, of, of course. So um, I was very, very lucky to kind of like after um, uh, after kind of like seeing a couple of different experiences and seeing a couple of different industries, I, I was asked to join the advisory board of a um, Mittelstand company. And uh, it's a very, very small one. So it's like a, a, a 20 employees. It's a, um, a couple of millions in revenue. It is a um, old school business. It's a publishing company. And so, uh, yeah, joining the advisory board there is a vastly different experience to what you typically see at a startup. So there is quite a strong contrast of cultures and not one or the other is better, but I think both can learn from each other. And so when you look at kind of like what is the underlying skill set that uh, these uh, companies do very, very well, I think it's actually quite a good learning experience for founders to look into the Mittelstand and see kind of like, what can I take from this? Uh, what can I learn from them? And how can I make my own company more profitable, more resilient, more stable, more oriented for the long term uh, compared to uh, what 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 many startup founders are, are optimizing towards? Mm-hmm. I see, see. And then you jumped into FinAuto. What, what was like the the founding story behind it was it like a, a, a bunch of guys sitting around the table drinking beer and saying oh let's let's do a startup or how, how did you approach uh, this and what was like the moment you said okay i i'm in i'm gonna co-found this yeah so um i knew for a while that i wanted to start a company um on my own like after seeing this for a couple of times um i was kind of like very very driven and motivated to find a topic that i'm excited about myself And to be honest, I never thought initially that I would find it in automotive. So it's actually something that uh, was a little bit of a uh, of a pleasant surprise because um, one of the um, one of the companies that that I worked with was also Picas Capital, and uh, we, we I worked quite closely with one of their partners, and that was actually the the push that I got to ultimately look a little bit more into automotive, and I really really. Um, like appreciated that because then I remembered the the buying experience that I had on my own and kind of like how painful it was and uh, found a lot of motivation to ultimately build, build Finn. But I met along the way like five very, very talented co-founders and mm-hmm. how we met each other was always in a purely professional context and via very, very different channels. But kind of like we always 
um, felt a very strong sense of alignment. So kind of like we all had the same goals to ultimately like simplify that experience to make operations more efficient, to kind of like build a product that is really loved by um, by its customers. And so it's something that um, that united us and that resonated with us. But ultimately, I it, I didn't know any of my co-founders before co-founding with them. We spent a lot of time together and we uh, worked uh, a lot together until we said like, hey, this is the right group. Um, but uh, I think it's a quite unromantic story compared to many of the other startup stories out there that sound like uh, more like a rom-com. Uh, yeah, like I've kn I've known this guy for... Uh, the last 12 years and he's my best friend from school uh, for us it was actually quite a, a different experience and rather a professional connection mm -hmm. you guys offer car subscriptions but not only here in germany but also you entered uh a, more than a year ago i do believe the u.s market right Yes, we entered the U.S. market one and a half years ago, and yeah, that that's kind of full circle, right? So, like my my poor buying experience was in uh, in 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 the U.S. in in California, but uh, so we are not there yet. But uh, that's definitely on the bucket list to ultimately uh, go full circle here and be able to uh, say, kind of like now we now we are solving this in California as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is you guys are headquartered in New York City and you split your time between Munich and New York City? Yes. So I'm roughly 70% of my time in New York and 30% of my time in Munich. I see. Do, do you also do like pre-Christmas New York? I love that uh, Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting ceremony, um, the, the, the Christmas spectacle at Radio City Music Hall and all the touristy stuff like that. Uh, I, I I did it like the the first PE experience that we talked about, like mm -hmm. that was uh, in New York, and I, I did all the touristy stuff back then. But now it's a little bit more kind of like head head down and work, um, but uh, but uh, not as much uh, touristy stuff anymore. Do you try because um. I was back in 2014, I was driving in New York City. Um, I, I had to do some stuff there and, um, I realized how freakingly expensive it is to park a car there. It cost me something like 50 bucks a night, all yeah. the toll roads and all that stuff. Do you use a car yourself in New York City? I don't. <laughs> you don't. Okay. I see. And can you tell us now a little bit that we have established a base? Can you tell us? a little bit about how you guys are making it possible to subscribe to cars and really apparently make it better than your competition because BMW and Mercedes, they first um, merged their car sharing ventures and now they're in the process of selling it and you guys are still going strong. What is the difference in the approach? Where, how did you start differently? What are you doing differently? Yeah. I think you can often ask these kind of questions for startups generally, right? Like, why why is it possible that kind of like a very small company, um, Steve Jobs called it like a pirate ship. Why can a uh, how can a pirate ship compete against the navy? And that that is very very um, difficult to answer. Always, I think it most of the time it comes down to focus and speed. So uh, because you only do one thing, you can do it really really well and do it a lot faster than many of your competitors. And so this is also how I look at, at Finn and why we are able to offer uh, 
very, very exciting user experiences. Uh, we are able to do from morning till evening, nothing else, but make sure that the process, the product and the user experience works. But uh, we also have uh, a very strong team, a very strong culture that enables us to ship products quickly and get results uh, very, very quickly. And I think ultimately some of these larger corporates are also constrained in the environment that they currently operate in. So uh, sometimes it's not easy for them. Sometimes it's quite political. Sometimes they don't have the resources they need to ultimately build this up. Whereas for us, it's a little bit easier because it's the only thing we focus on. To be clear, you, you're not yet profitable, but you're working towards get your unit economics towards profit. So our unit economics are profitable, quite significantly so. Um, and we are working towards uh, profitability, uh, like net income profitability. So to really be a profitable company within the next uh, year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. For everybody who doesn't have a business background, unit economics means you're, you're uh, half a subscriber and basically you're making profit with him. But you, if you add all the layers, all the stuff on top of it, um, then you're not profitable yet. Exactly. And so like, if you, you need to pay a bunch of salaries, you need to pay rent, like all these things can like still make it unprofitable. But as you are growing, um, you hopefully can add more subscribers and not uh, rent an additional desk for, for every subscriber, um, but uh, are able to scale the business as you're growing the subscriber base. Mm -hmm. We We've been talking about your investors. You had recently debt funding, um, in mm -hmm. total, almost a billion US dollar, according to Crunchbase. Um, do, do you have some tips uh, for entrepreneurs here? I do know there's a handful of entrepreneurs. I just talked to somebody who got a seed round and he told me, you know what? The Startup Radio inspired us to uh, get here. Uh, you don't need a rich family to be an entrepreneur. Can you tell us a few secrets for the people out there just learning entrepreneurship? Yeah, of course. I think like the main, um, the main uh, advice is to ultimately um, be persistent and solve a problem. Uh, I think that's uh, that's unfortunately the, uh, the the not so sexy advice that I can give. I think like fundraising in a lot of ways is like sales. So you ultimately want something from somebody. And to get there, you need to be very convincing. You need to be a little bit charming. You need to have very good arguments. You need to be able to ultimately just make your case and convince the other person that they are doing something great by giving you money. And so what works for us incredibly well is just being extremely focused on the KPIs that we are producing, uh, on the numbers that we are generating, but also um, give a very exciting view of the future. So tell investors what you can do with that money and what you will be able to build, how you're going to use that money. And I think like balancing these two is something that is very, very important. And I've seen a lot of um, entrepreneurs that do either very well, but not both. Mm -hmm. I see. And um, hang on, I just had a question. Oh, yeah. Uh, going a little bit back to the uh, car subscription because I got I forgot something very important to ask because you have business in Germany and you have yeah. business in the US. Uh, do you see major differences here? Um, I mean, not, not only that the US guys always love to either drive Porsche or pick up personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so pickups are definitely a thing in the US and not in Germany. I can I can second that. Um, but uh, we see uh, a very very uh, strong product market fit in the US as well, and even a little bit of a stronger product market fit because the US market is a lot more convenience driven. It is a lot more uh, has a lot more acceptance towards e-commerce, and so we see a very very strong traction in the US market. Uh, something that just like feels like something stupid to say, but it's it's nonetheless very very true. The U.S. is just huge. Like it's such a big country, and it uh, coming kind of like from Germany, where, where everything is fairly close together, where it takes you five hours to get from Munich to Berlin. Um, the U.S. in contrast is just gigantic, and that is definitely a big difference. Where logistics and operations become a little bit more important compared to Germany. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember from Texas, where depending on the traffic jams, you can spend eight hours driving within the state. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, mm -hmm. e easily. Well, just one more out of curiosity, what is your most popular car in Germany versus the US? Do you know that? Uh, in 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 Germany, funnily, it's the Jeep Compass, so it's a <laughs> it's a US car. Um, I think it, it is heavily driven by the, the the cars that we were able to buy over the past two years. And so um, I think if people see a great car at a great price, they love it. And so um, we we have a, like Jeep Compass is one of our best sellers, but also Opel Crossland, I think, is a great value for money car, a really, really good vehicle. Um, I think in the US, uh, the best selling uh, car is a, a Chevy Blazer. Um, so kind of like a small mid-sized SUV, uh, but we also have uh, trucks that are selling quite well. Uh, Tesla is also one of our most selling brands. We very much focus on EVs. So like more than 30% of our portfolio are electric vehicles. And uh, so we see a, a very strong demand there as well. Mm -hmm. Going a, a little bit looking into the future, because we're already talking around 25 minutes and I don't want to bother you too much. Um, I've read some um, articles that you may or may not plan an IPO in the future. So at first I was thinking, are you open to talk to new investors? And is this IPO really a potential future scenario? So I think it's definitely a future goal. So we are not working right now at this moment in terms of like, when do we list and which, uh, uh, like, where do we list at and how is the IPO going to look like? But it is definitely one future goal that is uniting us and that we want to achieve over the course of the next years. Uh, and we also do kind of like the, I think there's a bunch of steps that you need to do uh, towards an IPO to professionalize the company, to make sure that you have great forecasting, that you have a really, really predictable company. And we are already working towards these goals. And so it definitely is uh, an objective that we have going forward, but not something that we work towards. And ultimately, if you answering the investor question, I mean, we are always uh, open to see kind of like how we can partner up. Um, ultimately, my goal is to uh, maximize the value of Finn down the road. So the goal is to see kind of like how uh, into what uh, uh, company can we build Finn 10, 15 years down the road. Uh, of course, what will be the valuation then, but also uh, much more important, like how can we solve more problems? How can we make our customers' lives better? And also how can we ensure that we are 
a great environment to work at. And so uh, we are always interested in talking to partners and having conversations, um, but uh, the, the, there is no concrete plans at this moment. Mm -hmm. I see. A trick question. Would you rather IPO in Europe or in the US? <laughs> so uh, I've heard a lot of different differing opinions on that. But if you ask me personally, uh, not what is best for Finn, but where would I love to kind of like stand and ring the bell? Uh, doing that at Nasdaq, um, kind of like at Wall Street, uh, that would be really, really cool. I think that would be definitely a life dream fulfilled. Um, so uh, I, I think I have to go with New York there just from a personal perspective. I think from, for Finn, it really depends on the ultimately the, the, the revenue mix and the geographical mix that you will have uh, by the IPO. If you are a predominantly German company, it makes sense to IPO in Germany. If you're predominantly a US company, it makes sense to IPO in the US. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, we, we're getting towards the last topic of our um, discussion here. Um, usually, uh, people already know who you are, uh, what the company stands for, what they're doing, stuff like this. I would be wondering, are you currently hiring? Um, yes, we are currently hiring and we have a couple of positions that um, are quite important to us. And so uh, if you are looking for a job, then definitely look on our careers page. Um, it would be great to have you on board. Yeah, everybody who'd like to learn more, they can go down here in the show notes. We'll like your career page and the, the code word is Startup Radio to get into an interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you uh, if you say if you attach that to your CV, uh, you uh, you uh, it, it definitely helps. It definitely doesn't hurt to do research on the company that you're applying to. Great, Maximilian. Was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Hopefully, we can catch up at one point in the future, maybe pre-IPO or after another funding round. Uh, of course, it was great to talk to you, Joe. Have a great day. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.